Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Well, hi, how are y'all doing? Love that. Like Ben said, my name is Robert Newberry. I have the wonderful privilege of being on staff here with Christ Chapel. Um, And yes, I did go to TCU, so go Frogs. We love that. Um, And then went through the young adult residency, had a wonderful time, worked in middle school ministry before coming on staff with our young adults ministry. And it's been a ton of fun. And when Ben asked me to speak, Man, it was fun to think back on this time. Um, and I wanted to give you all a little preview of myself, kind of let you know who's talking to you. Um, this COVID season has been weird for all of us, um, but one of the reasons it's been especially weird for me is that I got engaged during this season. And so it's been awesome. Yeah, I did it. I tricked a girl into putting up with me forever. Um, she's in the back, so pray for her because she's going to need a lot of patience because I am stubborn. Um, but it's great, and through that, we've been walking through this engagement season, and it's been just such a blessing um, to get to do that, and it's been a ton of fun, um, but really hard to plan a wedding, so don't try and throw major parties during COVID, because it doesn't work out well, um, but in that, uh, it's been fun, and then getting to think back on what it was like uh, for me in college, one, we were in the aardvark, which was crazy to think back on, um, but then I, as I was thinking back uh, on that time, and yes, it's weird that I can now finally say that I do have to think back to college, so that's a little weird for me. Um, but I was just thinking about that time and all the wonderful memories uh, that I got. I think I was here a couple weeks ago when Ben talked about this is one of the coolest times in your life um, because you're making friends, you're discovering who you are, and it's this wonderful season. And I have some of the dearest friends in my life will be standing next to my wedding from this season. And it's just such a sweet, sweet memory to get to look back on. But then there are also some memories that are kind of really, really awkward because you have those moments where you don't quite function in the way that a human should, and you just feel that pain of even thinking back on them. And one that specifically came back for me um, is when I used to play sports. Um, So I played lacrosse. If any of y'all know it, you probably don't because this is Texas, so people only know football. But I played lacrosse, and it was a ton of fun, and we were specifically in our rivalry game. So the biggest one, think Baylor. By the way, go Frogs for beating Baylor. We love that. Um, But think the Baylor game, uh, but we were playing lacrosse, and it was like that dream scenario where we were both ranked in the state. It was this huge buildup. We were leading towards it, um, and we got all the way down to the fourth quarter. It was back and forth, back and forth the whole game. Um, And it gets to be about two minutes left, and we're tied. And it turns out that it's my turn to come up. It's uh, my shift. And so in lacrosse, basically what you do is it's live substituting. So someone runs off the field and you run straight on. And so someone ran off the field and I ran on right as our team got the ball back. And so they were going to throw it to me. I was wide open at midfield. We were going to run the fast break. There was about a minute 30 left. We were going to crush it. I was going to run the fast break. I was going to score. Everyone was going to love me. It was going to be super cool. I wouldn't be awkward anymore. I'd still be awkward, but I'd just score the goal and that'd be great. But threw the ball to me, caught it, and that's when the only way I can describe it is my body forgot how to sport Um, because 
I caught the ball and I was like, cool, just got to take 10 steps that way and then I'll throw the ball and we're good. And in that turning, I don't know if my feet forgot to like move, but I literally clipped myself and it was like that slow motion montage of my body just like whiplashing down and bouncing off the ground. And to my humiliation, the ball bounced out of my stick and slowly rolled out of bounds. And I was in the most embarrassed moment of my life. It was the worst because right after that, they picked the ball up and they scored. And I was in this place of feeling like I had no right to even consider myself an athlete after that. Um, and there's a term for this in sports. It's actually called the yips. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's when you make a common error um, in something that is seemingly simple. Like for me, walking or running or whatever you want to call it. Seemingly simple enough. Um, but I tripped and fell, and in that, it starts this negative feedback loop where all of a sudden you stop feeling confident in the things that you could do without even thinking before that. You start getting in your own head, you start overanalyzing everything, and it becomes increasingly difficult, more and more difficult, to feel like you were doing the everyday task that you once did. And it's a trap. It's this downward spiral, um, kind of like metaphorical quicksand that gets you stuck in this place where you feel like no matter how hard you try, no matter what you want to do to get it back, you just can't. And you feel trapped by it. And it's really, really hard to get out of. It almost feels impossible. And when I was thinking about it, I kind of realized it doesn't just happen in sports. It happens in every other aspect of our lives, too, if we think about it whether that's relationships or school, if you bomb a test that you s felt really, really solid for, it can start this downward spiral. And so I don't know what it is for you, um, but maybe just think, where are the areas that you thought you had confidence in that all of a sudden don't feel so solid? Where are the areas that you thought you had confidence in that don't feel so solid? It can be in school, it can be in relationships, um, but one small thing, can make us feel that awkward feeling of like, oh, did I really do that? And then you all of a sudden start to overanalyze yourself. You start thinking that your friends could be talking behind you and it's tough. Or maybe it's not a scenario. Uh, maybe it's something that you've known that you felt trapped in. Um, kind of like Josh said last week, I think he used the phrase, what are the places that you never thought you would go back to again? But here you are. Um, whether this pandemic has been harder on you than you thought, um, or school has gotten rough and stress has increased? What are the places that you never thought you'd go back to, but for whatever reason you're ending up back there again? And you feel this weight, this continual cycle of saying, oh man, why am I stuck here? Or maybe in your faith, maybe as a Christian, um, you keep getting tripped up. What are those things that you've done or gotten caught up in that make you make you think your faith isn't as secure as you thought it was. It's tough. We all have those problems. And like Josh talked about last week, Paul did too. In Romans 7, it talks about him doing what he did not want to do and feeling trapped by it. And, and so we all have this feeling of being stuck, of being feeling condemned for that weight that we know we should be better, but we're just not. And so Instead of leaving us there, Paul then immediately chooses to highlight one of the most glorious privileges that we have in Christ, which is what we're going to walk in today. So open with your Bibles with me uh, to Romans 8, uh, if you've got them. And then just a reminder, as you're opening, 
In Romans 7, Paul talked about the fact that we are freed from our sin um, and that we are freed from the law of sin, which exposed our sin and gave us this picture of how sinful we are, but it didn't do anything to bring us out from under that weight of feeling that condemnation from that sin. And so that's where we pick up in Romans 8. And so read with me now. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Read that with me one more time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son, that's Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ Jesus is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. And so, stop real quick. The first thing that I want you to get, we're gonna go into this in more detail, we're gonna flesh this out, we are gonna walk through this and how this is all true, but the first thing I want you to hear before we go any further is when I was asking those questions, if you were following along, if you had an answer um, to what we were saying, about what are you trapped up in, what do you feel stuck in, where are you returning that you've never thought to, if you had an answer to those questions, the truth of scripture says that there is now no condemnation for whatever past mistakes you made that keep bringing you shame. Let me say that again. There is no condemnation for whatever past mistakes you made that keep bringing you shame. Because Jesus took the place of your sin. Instead of Jesus leaving you in that place that Paul said, where, oh, who will rescue me from this wretched body of sin? Instead of leaving us in that place, what Jesus does is he comes down in the flesh. It says in verse two, uh, two through four, uh, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that means for you and me that Jesus took on that weight that we felt by being trapped in our sin. We were shown our sin by the law. And then what God did in sending Jesus is he took us out from under that weight by making Jesus the payment for that. And so it is a glorious privilege that we have in Christ Jesus and that's what I want you to take away. The main point that I wanna focus on before we get into the nuances. Um, but to really walk it out, we gotta understand our problem. And the problem is, is that we feel the weight of that disobedience. Because we were given the law to say how to live according, uh, how to live righteously according to God's law. But if you and I are honest, man, we can't go a week without keeping keeping all the promises that we made. It's a struggle for us to walk through what it looks like to live out living righteously because we're fallen and we're sinful. And so Jesus had to be the one to come into that 
Um, but the problem that we deal with in continually bringing up that sin is that we kind of get stuck. In the same way that I talked about that cycle, whether it's in sports, whether it's in real life, we get stuck in a cycle of shame because we know that we're supposed to do better. We know that we're supposed to live in this righteous way because it's what God calls us to and it's satisfying and we know it's good, but yet our sin keeps creeping up on us. Paul says, whenever I desire to do good, I find uh, sin is crouching right behind me. And man, can I, re- uh, can I identify with that? And if you're in Christ and you've been walking with him for a while, you can identify with that too. And so we feel this weight of being stuck in that cycle and we kind of try to push it off in a couple different ways. We've got three different ways where on our own, if we're confronted with that shame of feeling like we should be better but we don't, we try and put it in three different categories. And so the first one of these categories is we try and deal with it by fighting in our inadequacy. Um, And basically what we do in this is when we're confronted with our sin, whether we fall, whether we uh, don't measure up, whether we uh, just think back and we just blew it. We think, oh man, that's just who I am. I'm not good enough. Like, I can't get it right. I don't know what it is for you, whether it's a cycle of anger, whether it's shame, whether it's pornography, whatever it is that we continue to get tripped up in, we can go to a place of feeling like we're no better than our sin. And so what we do is in our feelings of inadequacy, we start to accept that that's where we're supposed to be. And we start to lower our standard from what God calls us to and we put ourselves in this place of saying, you know what, I can't do better. So I'm just gonna accept this. The second camp that we fall into is one of deflecting blame or denying. Um, and the best way to think about this is blaming your sin on your circumstances. It's, it's the thought that says, oh man, well I really wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for you know, today. If that guy didn't cut me off in traffic, I wouldn't have yelled at my roommate. If I didn't have a bad day at work, I wouldn't have been as hostile. Uh, I wouldn't have yelled at my parents uh, for just asking me a question. I wouldn't have gossiped to my roommate if she wouldn't have done uh, that one thing. And what we do is we try and push the blame away from us and say, man, if my circumstances weren't so bad, I wouldn't be so bad. And then the last camp that we get into is the camp of recognizing that we've fallen and then saying, oh no, that's on me. Like, I just, de- I just needed to try harder. Like, if I would have given more effort, I could have done it. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get to it. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to get good nutrition. I'm going to get my day right. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to do everything that I need to. And all of a sudden, I'm not going to be sinful anymore. And if you try that for about a week, you realize that eventually that effort fades. And then we get caught in this cycle. Um, and the cycle is shame. Shame for feeling what we felt. Shame for feeling that we know that there's a problem. We know whether it's uh, a continuous cycle that we've got caught up in or we just know that we've done something wrong. We feel shame for it. And so then on our own, if we don't trust Christ with it, what we try to do is we just try to do better. We try to say, you know what? You know, I'm gonna do everything I need to. I'm gonna make promises. I'm gonna set guidelines. I'm gonna, you know, have some other accountability partners. And all we try to do is just bring other people or bring circumstances around us. And that may work for a while. You may have some really great willpower. You may be way stronger than I am. Um, But eventually, whether it's a week, a month, a year, eventually what we find is that 
this effort, us trying to manufacture it, us trying to produce a change in our own lives, won't work. Because what we took from Josh last week is that no matter what we do, we can't escape our own sin because we're sinful on our own. And so we need a solution. We need somewhere to go that helps us get out of this cycle of shame because on our own, we just get stuck deeper and deeper and deeper. So where do we go? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Romans 8, 1 through 4. And that there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is as soon as you get caught in this cycle, as soon as you start feeling the shame, as soon as you start feeling, man, I shouldn't have done that, what you can start doing is saying, no, no, no. Jesus already paid for this. Jesus was the one who was sent. And he condemned sin in the flesh so that I no longer have to feel that weight. So that whenever I get caught in this, whenever I feel like I'm getting stuck and spiraling down and down and down, I can remember these words that Jesus says that I do not condemn you. And so for us, the easiest way to remember it, the easiest way for us to remember what it takes for us to practically walk out of that is to focus on what Jesus did, focus on what he has done, not what we did. Because when we turn our eyes to him, and focus on what he has done, man, there's a lot of grace there. There is a lot of power in what Jesus did in condemning sin in the flesh. And what that does is it puts the onus off of us. It puts the focus off of us and our brokenness and puts it rightfully in the place that it should, which is on Jesus and the grace that he has for, for you. And it's this wonderful reversal, it's this wonderful flip uh, that puts us out of a place of micromanaging our own sin, beating down on ourselves, and it looks to what Jesus says about us. And whenever you think about that, I want you to think of Romans 8.1, which is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what I want us to walk away with. So practically, how do we really live that out? What does it look like for us to walk in this truth that we are focusing on what Jesus has done, not what we did. And so I'm gonna leave you two application points um, to take with. So the first one, first one of these application points is I want you to fight to believe the truth that your past can't dim- condemn you any longer. Fight to believe the truth that your past can't condemn you any longer. Because, like I said earlier, it can be tempting for us to think back on whatever those mistakes are. Y'all, when I was thinking on that story about my lacrosse, uh, about my trip and fall when I couldn't do the whole functioning body thing, um, I, I started, my heart started to race. Like I started to get sweaty palms because no matter what, even though that was 10 years ago, I can still feel that weight, that stickiness, that awkwardness of being like, oh man, I let everyone down. And if we're not careful, our sin can do the same. If we're not careful, that mistake that we think back on, the mistake that you had in your mind that was the answer to my question earlier, it can continually be brought up and we can stay feeling that same condemnation because we're dwelling on it again. And so what I want you to do is fight to believe that truth. Or maybe it isn't that you have a memory that keeps coming up that just keeps bringing shame. Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's that you heard me say all this, you heard me talk about the truth that there's no condemnation for us, but in your mind you said, no, Robert, 
you don't know everything that I've done. Because if you really knew the depths to which my sin has gone, you wouldn't say that there's no condemnation. Because I deserve it. Like what I've done is too bad. And I don't doubt that, that you were in this room, that there are those thoughts circulating around this room because I was one of them. I was one of the ones who believed that there was no way that my sin could fully be forgiven because I've chosen it too many times. I have willingly walked into my sin far too many times for God to be this good to give up on, or to never give up on me. But what we don't realize what we're doing in that moment is we're saying that we believe our ability to sin is greater than God's ability to forgive. What we're saying is that faith doesn't actually cover all of the brokenness that's in my life because my sin is more powerful than the cross. And it's this really, really dark spiral of saying, no, Jesus, like, I know you can fix some small stuff, but I don't believe that you can truly fix me because I'm too far gone. And man, if you have that thought and you're in this room, I'm so glad you're here. Because our God is not in the business of just handling the light things about our life. Um, if you'll look back with me to Romans 10 and 11, I want you to see how, tol how total and complete his ability to redeem is. And so verse 10 says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Let me read that one more time. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I want that to sink in. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead when he was crucified is at work in you. That is the power of our God that wants to work in your life to redeem all the parts that you feel are broken. And I don't know about you, but I am on board for that level of redemption because y'all, I am a 27 year old who already has back problems, so I am ready for our God to come in and work. Now hear me out, I'm not, little caveat, I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, you're all of a sudden never gonna get hurt or injured again because believe me, I can tell you otherwise. But the power in which our God has to redeem is total and complete. And so if you have a thought in this room of, man, my sin's too great for that, I would invite you to know how powerful our God is because he didn't come to just handle what you feel is tolerable. He came to handle everything, the totality of the sin in your life. And that is the new freedom that he wants, to walk, uh, he wants you to walk in when you feel that you are sh either being shamed or condemned for the sin that you've been in. That is the freedom that we get in this new life. So what do we do with this freedom then? We've been given this, we've been pulled out from our sin, we have been moved away from it, and so now what are we supposed to do? And that brings us to our second point, which is use your freedom to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Let me say that again. Use your freedom to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And first off, if you're in this room, uh, and this is your first time reading through the Scripture, and you come to verses 5 through 7, and you hear that phrase, 
Um, for those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. If you're like me, your first thought was, what the heck does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? And, I mean, real honestly, we can just say, it's a, it's a little weird way to say that. Um, but here's what it means. The first part we have to define is what are the things of the Spirit. Um, and a real simple way to think about it is the things of the Spirit are anything that Jesus, uh, that reminds you of Jesus or what he has done according to Scripture. Anything that reminds you of Jesus or what he has done according to Scripture. That is the grace that is found through the cross. That is the forgiveness of sins. That is the new life that is to be made in Christ. All of those are the things of the Spirit that the Spirit wants, to, wants you to use to remind yourself of the new identity you have in Christ. And then the second part, what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? Um, and the way that I would describe this is make, make these things, the things of the Spirit, what we just defined, the loudest voice in the room of your head. And what I mean by that is we all have thoughts that go on throughout our day. You know, if you're like me, you wake up, you kind of categorize, categorize everything you need to go throughout your day. Like, okay, I'm preaching at college. That means I should probably, you know, get dressed and have some coffee to wake up so I can talk to these guys and not be asleep. Um, and then kind of go throughout your day and let that list kind of dictate how and what you do. And if we're not careful, that list can take over. And we can start to focus only on our objectives, only on our tasks. And what it can do is it can start to make us feel anxious because we start to think about all the things we have to get done. We start to think about all the things that we should be doing. And in that, sometimes we don't add up. Sometimes we don't follow through on everything that we do. Um, and if we don't have the ability to set our mind on what Jesus would have for us in that day, and that is focusing on our new life, that is uh, focusing on his grace that is to be found through him, then we start to get our vision narrowed into only these things that put stress on us. We start to focus in on the things that are really causing us anxiety or fear. And they start to take over our vision. And then that's when it leads to this spiral of putting us in a place of not remembering what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, but only focusing on the things that we have to do or the ways that we won't measure up because we're anxious, we're nervous, and we're fearful. And so... Uh, the ways to real practically set your mind on the, on the things of the Spirit is your daily devotional. Um, it's the discipline to get up, to make Jesus the first voice you hear in the morning. So that way, no matter what happens throughout your day, you are reminded of your identity before anything else. You walk out of your bedroom, wherever you have your quiet time, and then you know for the rest of your day whose you are. So that way, if you have a rough day at work, if you have a bad test that comes through at school, you know at the end of the day that there's still a Savior who loves you. And there's still God of the universe who's proud of you and says, I'm not condemning you. I'm just proud that you are mine. And so we focus on those things. It's prayer. It's praying, daily communion with your God, talking to him because he wants to hear from you. And owning your fears, owning the things that you're anxious about and turning them over to him. It's worship. It's gathering together like this so we can be reminded of how good it is of our God to be able to come here together and worship with a group of believers who want to rejoice in our God together. It's Bible study. It's understanding God's word. He wrote this for our understanding. He wrote it for our comprehension so that we would know how to walk through life in him. And so it's focusing on this. It's memorizing this. Grab a buddy. Grab someone who you can walk with and say, hey, let's go try and memorize a couple verses together. Then a few more. 
And all of a sudden, you start to realize that as you go throughout your day, you've remembered these verses and they pop in your head. And you can start to remember God's words even when you didn't plan on it yourself. And so you've begun to start training your mind to focus on Jesus and what he's done for you. And so in that, when you start to focus on those things, you begin to focus solely on Jesus and rejoice in what he's done for you and spend more and more of your time dwelling on it. And what you find in that moment is the more you dwell on him, the less you dwell on what brings you shame. As you are setting your mind on the spirit, it is this active relationship that as you are walking more and more in the spirit, it pulls you out of focusing on all that shame and all that doubt and all that condemnation that you feel anywhere else. And that is the power that our God wants for you in walking out this relationship daily. So use your freedom to set your mind on the things of the spirit. And then lastly, before I close, if you don't know this God, if you've been in this room today and you've heard me talk about all the privileges that it, are, that it is to be in Christ, the no condemnation, the freedom from that shame, being able to pull you out of that shame cycle that sticks continuously over and over and over again, you're saying, Robert, I've never known that. Man, I'm so glad you're here because our God wants to meet with you today. You have a God of the universe who knows you individually, who made you. And in that he didn't just make you and then leave you alone. He sent his son to live a perfect life on this earth, fulfilling every righteous requirement of the law, and then to die as a sacrifice so that he could give you that same righteousness. And all he wants from you is a relationship. He wants to know you, he wants to walk with you, and he wants to show you the new, a new way of life that doesn't bring shame, that doesn't bring condemnation, but brings life and peace and joy in the spirit. That's what our God wants from you. And so there's gonna be people who come up here and they can pray with you and we would love to walk you through what it looks like to have a relationship with our God. We'd love to get you plugged into family nights and other things where we want you to be in biblical community. So if you don't know our God, if you've had a question, I beg you, please don't wait. Talk to someone today. We would love to walk, walk you through that process and love to show you and get you in a discipleship relationship where you can start to learn more and more about who our God is and what he wants from you because it is a joyful process. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for the truth. The truth that there is no condemnation for any of us who are in Christ. That no matter what shame, no matter what mistakes we've made in our past, they aren't bigger than the grace that you offer. God, they aren't more powerful than what Jesus did in living a perfect life and dying. So God, as we go throughout our day, as we continue walking out life, and Father, if we stumble, if we fall, God, I pray that the first thing on our mind wouldn't be a condemning thought of, oh, you should have done better. But I pray it would be a reminder of your gospel, of your truth, of the grace that is to be found in Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would fight to hold on to that. God, that as the thoughts to bring up shame would be tempting to give into, God, I pray that we would have an overwhelming assurance that your grace is more powerful, that what your son did on the cross is going to be ever more powerful than any sin we could ever commit. So there is no ability for sin to bring shame in the sight of the cross. So may we dwell on what your son did for us 
May we set our mind on how good his grace is. And God, may that lead us into new life. May that allow us to live out the life that you would have for us, wanting joy and peace and love rather than shame and condemnation. Father, we love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.